Welcome, friends, to another episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a fit-for-work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown, and today we are talking with Diana Stiegel again. As you remember from our previous episode, Diana is the current president of the ASSP, and with April coming up and being Distracted Driver Awareness Month, we thought we'd get you guys a little prepared on some things to think about for April, and today we are talking about fleet safety. So enjoy the interview. Why should our listeners care about fleet organizations, the fleet portion of a business, and fleet safety? That's a great question, Curtis. And I run into that a lot. I mean, from the insurance perspective, I would go into an account or a potential account and I'd be asking questions about their, their motor vehicles. I'm like, well, we're an office or we're healthcare or we're pick an industry. You know, we don't have commercial vehicles. That's all well and good. But when you look at work related fatalities, Roadway incidents have been number one for way too many years. So for 2018, which is the the year that we have the most data, 24% of the work-related fatalities involve roadway incidents involving a motorized land vehicle. That doesn't include the pedestrian incidents that are also roadway incidents. That's another 200 so fatalities related to our roadways. And most times people think, oh, well, you know, it's it's the commercial truck drivers. Like, no, usually not. Yes, there is a percentage of those fatalities, but it can be any industry. It can be any occupation. And if we were to start focusing on fatalities and focusing on those roadway exposures, We can have an impact in reducing the number of work-related fatalities, which to me is kind of important. So you touched a bit on it, but who within the company actually counts as part of this, the fleet that we're talking about today? Anyone who drives for your company in a vehicle. It can be your salesperson driving their own vehicle or driving a company-provided vehicle. It can be the office worker who makes a delivery to the post office, whether during their work shift or even on their way home. It can be a construction supervisor. It can be engineers. It can be people who go into other facilities and do repairs. It can be certainly the heavy truck drivers, but those tend to be very well-regulated. It could also be someone who is traveling to a conference and who rents a vehicle, what in the insurance industry we refer to as the owned and non-owned or the hired and non-owned vehicles. It can be anyone who drives a vehicle for company business, whether it's their vehicle or someone else's vehicle. Basically a very broad group that is outside of a vehicle that has to be regulated by the Highway Transportation Agency or something like that. This is anybody who's acting in any sort of official capacity for a company is considered a part of a fleet. Exactly. Again, most people don't think of it from that standpoint, but when you look at when you look at the overall exposure or the liability, whether it's from the employee injury or even exposure to others on the roadway, it's whoever is driving for your company. Interesting. So what are some things that should be in place for an organization, I mean, regardless of the number of vehicles in their fleet, what are some things that they should have in place to promote, train, and get people in a, in a safer driving environment? Good question. And a lot of the things that the Department of Transportation regulates for those commercial vehicles apply. 
maybe to not the same extent, but they do apply. So the, the first is always, who are you allowing to drive for the company? So that driver selection piece, are we doing those motor vehicle record checks? Are we doing road test? Have we observed them driving? Do they actually do a full stop at the stop signs or do they do a rolling stop? The training initially related to, hey, you if you're driving on company business, this is our expectation. It can also be vehicle selection, depending on if it's just, you know, we're, we're making a run to the post office, or maybe we're doing some deliveries, or we get a little bit more involved in more traditional transportation, or if we're in sales and we have to have our product so that we can have it available for showing, we need to be sure that the vehicle is appropriate for the operation. Doing ride-alongs. And these can be tough because people don't always know what to look for. But even to have a checklist to say, okay, as your supervisor, I'm going to do a ride-along today. And during the ride-along, looking at is the person using their turn signals? Are they using their mirrors? Are their eyes on the road? Oh, do they use their seatbelt? Are they keeping, maintaining appropriate stopping distances? Are they passing on the right versus just passing on the left? Overall, evaluating what are their driving skills? How are they doing with backing? Do they make a point to use their turn signals well in advance? Do they make a point to park where they don't have to back up? All of those things can be taken into account. And they don't have to be a continuous, but doing something at least when you're putting that person in that position, gives you a better sense of what is their attitude towards driving. The other things would be after there is a crash, after there is a roadway incident, what are we doing to talk about what happened and what could have been done to prevent injuries in the future? Is there additional training that's needed? Is this the right vehicle? And then that kind of goes to also the vehicle maintenance and vehicle inspections. Being in the insurance world for most of my professional career, there would be, I would ride with, with some of my construction clients and there would be water bottles in the floorboards and they're rolling around and it's like, oh gosh. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's like, hmm, have you not considered that that's going to get underneath either your brake pedal or your gas pedal at the wrong time? Of course. Yeah. That's always when it happens. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what are they doing to even just keep the vehicle clean? Are the taillights working? Is everything working appropriately? And that can just be a quick vehicle inspection. So even if I'm driving my vehicle for company business, just doing a quick walk around. Are the tires fully inflated? Worst thing in the world is to get in the vehicle and you have a tire that's not working or a tire that's flat. What is the condition of the windshield? Having been in Minnesota for the last 13 years, by the time you got home, there would be, I think the technical word is gunk on your headlights and you couldn't see through them. So what are we doing to be sure that the headlights and the taillights are clear so that people can see you? I'm always curious, how is technology change this? Do you find more companies using a sort of GPS tracker? Is that very common or is that still pretty rare where ride-alongs are more the norm than any of those GPS units? For commercial fleets, so the big tractor trailers or the straight trucks, anyone who considers they actually have a commercial fleet, or particularly if it is regulated by the DOT, many of them do have some type of GPS tracking because that also helps them know about, it doesn't just track the location of the vehicle, but it's also used to help from a sales perspective, You know, letting the client know when can you expect this person to be there. It'll 
be able to track fuel usage, which as you can imagine is, is pretty important for the fleets. So technology has been used more from that standpoint. I see certain industries really getting into the, the telematics. So those are the, that's the technology with the camera that records, it basically records all the time, but it captures what happens right before a crash or an incident. So they're able to then review what was going on, not at the time of the incident, but what was going on just before the incident. Interesting. So it's the new little black box for vehicles. Exactly. And they can be very effective. It's all in how you implement their usage. You have to get past the belief from some of the drivers, oh, this is just Big Brother is watching me. But it's interesting in talking to to fleets that are using these and even the companies that promote them and that that sell them, the number of lawsuits that they've been able to say, you know, our driver was doing exactly what they should. So once you start sharing some of that data, the drivers tend to be a little more open to having that kind of device in their vehicle. Yeah, I could see how they don't they don't necessarily see it as their defense, but as some, you know, somebody watching over their shoulder. So that's a, definitely a good point to bring up to them when implementing those. Because that is one of the challenges. It's a work environment that's not supervised. You're not in a four-wall building where you have, where you're able to see what people are doing when they're on the road. And it's not that we want to micromanage our drivers, but letting them know that, hey, we, we are concerned about what are you doing and how are you doing it to protect yourself as well as to protect the, the liability of the organization. Any experience with using virtual reality as far as I know, people will have like set up a simulated driving situation. Is that something that you think could be an affordable, easier option to say, you know, kind of test people's driving habits? I think they're getting less expensive, but they are a pretty significant downtick <laughs> to invest in them. There are some that are traveling that are on the road, if you will, so that you could bring them into your facility. Most times when I see them, they are for organizations who do have significant fleets and commercial drivers. I would not be surprised though, as VR advances, that there aren't some that get designed for simulating driving and, and what is your reaction time and are you using your turn signals? I know there's some training organizations online that that try to simulate that. Some are better than others. And the ones that are online are less expensive than having the, the full virtual where it simulates. Basically, you're in the seat with the steering wheel. A lot of the ones that I'll see online are more up button, left button, right button to respond versus having a, a steering wheel for the reaction. I could see how having the actual driving equipment would be much more effective than computer buttons to be pushing if you're going to invest that much in, in virtual reality, for sure. Being a business leader, it is so easy to become overwhelmed with all the tasks and projects that are constantly being brought up to you and wondering, how am I going to be able to tackle all this? Fit for Work will be that partner, either in a project-based or a subscription-based model. We can help you assess all those different projects that you've been needing to get to, physical demands analysis, preparing for post-offer testing to make sure that they are EEOC and ADA compliant. We can also help you connect engineering changes with worker behavior, which is the whole point of ergonomics. Without that connection, they just won't last. Doing all of these to help relieve you of that burden and get things done in a cost-effective way. Get a hold of us at wellworkforce.com. 
how can organizations go about training these types of individuals and which of these individuals actually need to take part in some kind of fleet training? That's a good question. And training doesn't take care of everything. You know, we have to keep in mind that from a hierarchy of controls, training is down on the list. But when it comes to preventing roadway incidents, it is one of the tools we have in our belt. And it's interesting because you have to keep in mind that for most drivers, the only training they had was before they got their license. And that depends on the state, whether they had to take a formal driver's ed program or, you know, you ride with your parents for 40 hours of driving and then you can go and take your road test, which just is mind boggling. So sometimes like, well, people know how to drive. They've been driving for a long period of time, but we can't assume that some of the basics were covered. So there are a couple of things that need to be covered when they go through training. And it can be, you know, when you hire someone, if you don't expect them to be driving on a regular basis, it can be just covering a few key things like the expectation is that you're going to follow all traffic laws. And here are the key ones in our state, going over defensive driving, letting them know, reminding them of what are following distances, why those are important, recognizing there's the reaction time and then there's the stopping distance. So you have to first see that you need to stop and then react to that. And that is a lot longer than most of us think. And you throw in distraction and that increases even even more. Talking about distracted driving, do you have a policy related to use of cell phones in the vehicles? If so, what is it? Does your state, does your jurisdiction have that regulation? Talking even about the impact of fatigue on driving, that if you've been driving for an extended period of time, you need to stop and address the fatigue. And it's not just a matter of, well, I'm going to run into the local convenience store and I'm going to get that huge thing of coffee and that's going to keep me awake. It may or may not. But some of the things that we think of to combat fatigue don't really work. People will say, well, I'll just roll down my window. Well, fresh air is always good, but if you're truly fatigued, that's not going to have the impact you need. So one of the things that you can do, and I know it can be difficult for companies to to recognize this and allow this, but if the person is fatigued, the sleep institutes talk about stopping, yes, getting a cup of coffee, and then taking a 20-minute nap, because that 20-minute nap is going to allow the caffeine time to get into your system. I mean, I can just testify to that. I actually fell asleep behind the wheel. I was in my early 20s going to college, working full time and came home late at night and dozed off. And I there were so many times before where I literally woke up at home and not remembering how I got there. And then one time I did fall asleep and flipped over my car. Fortunately, I was walked away without any injury to myself. My car was completely totaled. But from now on, like as soon as the head nods, I pull over and take a quick 15-minute nap. And yeah, I just want to give a testament to that, that it's never worth trying to be there 15 minutes early. Being 15 minutes late and taking a nap is priceless in your alertness level. Absolutely. And there are studies that talk about how many people drive fatigued and recognize that they drive fatigued. And that doesn't include all the people who aren't aware or don't report that they have. But it's, it is a huge issue that's out there. And you think about some of the people who will leave at 3 a.m. so they can get their route drivers, for example, they'll leave the terminal at 3 a.m. so that they can be at their sites when they need to be. And that's not the best time to be driving. And so if we have choices about when to drive, 
it would be to avoid driving between 11 p.m. and say 6 a.m. because that's when you're going to have more fatigued drivers and you're also probably going to be running into drivers who are under the influence. So we need to be very aware of that if, if we are the ones who are setting the cycle for when we're driving. So fatigue is one and then the other is reminding them about the importance of safety at intersections. People don't necessarily think about those, but a lot of the crashes do occur at intersections. And then the other training would be to what should you look for when you walk around your vehicle? I mentioned earlier, checking your headlights and your taillights. Are they working? Are they clear? Are you creating an environment where other people can see you? Because it's not just about you being able to see other vehicles. It's about them being able to see you. And that's one of the reasons a lot of states have regulations that say, hey, you know, at dusk, you need to turn on your headlights. At, if it's raining, you need to turn on your headlights. All of that is so people can see you. Because if they can't see you and then you have to stop quickly, they are not going to be able to react. So we need to be mindful of that as well. I heard a good rule of thumb. If you can't see the sun, turn your lights on. I like that one. Yeah. Diana, with April being Distracted Driver Awareness Month, what are some best practices when addressing distracted driving within a fleet? Yeah, distracted driving really has come to the forefront. It's hard to to pick up any magazine related to vehicles where it doesn't talk about distracted driving. One of the things that always surprises me on this is that people don't want to be in a vehicle with a driver who's distracted, but they think nothing of taking advantage, you know, using their cell phone themselves when they're driving. And, and that that's this huge disconnect. And the uh, National Highway Transportation Safety Association has done some studies over the last several years. They'll do one like every two to three years. And the number of drivers who are what they call distraction prone, which means they will use devices, has gone up instead of down, which that really bothers me. And 86% of those say that they would feel unsafe if the driver they were with was sending text or emails, and 81% would feel unsafe if they were reading text or emails, And which is mind-boggling that people are still doing that, but but they do. And many times what I'll see is people will do it at the intersection, not keeping in mind, you're still in traffic. And I think we've all been at an intersection and we're like, why is that person not moving. The light is green. I'm pretty sure I know why they aren't. The Virginia Tech has a transportation institute and they've done some studies related to distracted driving. And these are ones not just self-reported. This is watching people. And they looked at what was happening right before the event, the crash, if you will. And what they discovered was it's not necessarily the cell phone is bad or other technology is bad. It all comes down to eyes on the road. The longer your eyes are off the road, the more likely you are to have a crash. So with Distracted Driving Month coming up, the message I would say is encouraging people to think about, are your eyes on the road? Where are your eyes? I mean, it's one thing if they're off looking at the mirror. That just takes a split second. But when you look at eyes off the road, that's that's why cell phones and the texting and the emails, because our eyes are off the road. Even with hands-free, many times to call, you have to be looking at your phone to find the right contact, to make that call, to send that message. So if you do have hands-free, that's great, but be honest with yourself and look at 
how often are my eyes off the road? So that the education piece, there are lots of materials that will be coming out as we get into April to help with getting the message related to distracted driving. But the 2016 study said that people on the road are distracted 50% of the time. Yikes, that's pretty scary. Jeez. That's very scary. So the other thing is there are some apps. So if it's a company vehicle and it's a company phone, you can put the app on there that it basically tracks how fast the person is going and will send out the message. I can't take a call right now. We can do that voluntarily on our own phones. It says, you know, I'm driving and I will contact you when it's safe. Some people take the simple step of putting their phone either in their glove box or their trunk just so it's not a temptation because that's in talking to the people who are exhibiting those distracted behaviors, they're doing it because they don't want to miss out on something or they're afraid it could be an emergency. Right. I can think of a much bigger emergency than missing that one text message or, or phone call. There were a couple of other things that were listed in terms of distracted driving other than just that little device that we are attached to. And they they looked at emotional driving. And when we are very upset, crying, just distraught, angry, that increased the risk of incidents nearly a thousand percent. Wow. So angry driving is basically drunk driving is what you're saying. Angry driving or upset driving. So it's, you know, If you are upset, that's not the time to be driving. Because imagine if something happens, you will be even more upset, but for a different reason. When we look at our ability to drive, we sometimes forget that we as humans, we weren't aren't meant to go that fast and then stop that fast. And so it really is a, we have put our bodies in a position, like we are meant to move and walk and run, but going 65 miles an hour is something our bodies aren't meant to handle. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point because even, and I hope everyone out there uses their seatbelts. I hope you have vehicles that have airbag, but when they work, which is you know, most of the time. So I wear my seatbelt all the time. I feel naked without it. But you know, recognizing that just because my skeleton has stopped doesn't mean my organs have stopped. And they will keep going until they hit that cushioning within our brain. So yeah, that's a really good point. And I think sometimes because cars are such a part of our culture, especially in the United States, we take them for granted. We forget that this is this huge hunk of steel now, you know, aluminum or fiberglass in many cases. And it is it is a weapon. It's massive. And we take it for granted. We don't think anything about what we do. Even talking to passengers, if the conversation becomes heated, can take us off of the task at hand. I have to admit, like you, Curtis, I have had situations where I would be leaving a client or, or leaving an event and I didn't fall asleep, but I was just, my brain was so hyped on the event I just left. And it's like, oh, I don't remember how I got here. And that's scary. And I think more of us have that happen than than we care to admit. So we, we need to be mindful of that. I mean, when cars first came out, they debated for years, is it safe to put a radio in? And now we have, well, you know what? You could just put your cell phone up there and you could watch a movie while you're driving. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, yikes. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I had no idea that radios were actually debated on putting in. That's an interesting fact. I'd, I'd never heard that before. They were very afraid of the distraction. And that was when cars didn't go very fast. I mean, they probably maxed out at 30 miles an hour at that point. (laughs) Yeah, it was still a long ways to get across the state. So yeah, and they're safer. 
they go faster. Our highways, for the most part, are safer, at least the way they're designed. And sometimes it's there, there's a concept out there called risk homeostasis, that when the perception is that, oh, well, I have a seatbelt and we have the crash zones now within our cars and we have the airbags, so I can go faster because I'm more protected if something happens. It's kind of like that football helmet where people think that they've once they put the helmet on, they're invincible, but things still can happen even under the helmet. So this is great information, kind of summing all up with April being distracted driving month is a company's fleet is usually much broader than what can be assumed, even if the vehicles aren't officially bought by the company, anybody on company business can be considered a fleet. And so if you have a fleet, you need to do training, you need to make sure that you're doing safety checks and making sure that your people understand the rules and regulations, as well as those simple things to take care of their vehicle. Any final thoughts or take-home messages that you want to share before we wrap this up? I would just encourage everyone out there to think about your driving and are you using safe following distances? Are you doing things that distract you when you drive? And if you're you're looking for additional information on putting together a motor vehicle program, ASSP does have, a, there is a standard out there at Z15.1, which is safe practices for motor vehicle operations. You have to buy the standard, but there's actually some free information and some articles related to the standard that can get you started. Awesome. Thank you so much much, Diana. It's been great to have you on again, and uh, we look forward to picking your brain on bringing the safety messages closer to the people who need it most. So thank you so much for your time. We are so thankful that Diana joined us again and gave us some information on fleet safety. I guess I didn't necessarily realize how many people within the organization actually qualify as part of the fleet. As she mentioned, you know, somebody that stops at the post office on the way home, that is considered a work task and then would be a part of a company's fleet. So, you know, with a coming up and Distracted Driver Awareness Month. If some of you haven't necessarily fully considered who all is a part of your fleet, maybe shooting out an email to everyone there, whether they stop on a quick trip or they have a company car or anyone and just addressing some distracted driving facts, even vehicle maintenance facts would be a great idea. And, And just remember, it's not just the commercial vehicles that are a part of a company's fleet, but it could be anyone's personal vehicle as well. And then the other thing that I I actually started thinking about, and I'm not sure how many others of you, while you're listening to the interview, come up with other ways that you've maybe been distracted while you're driving. And she talked about the cell phones, which is very common and what all of the new laws are coming out about, and then also about emotional driving. But what about the time that you've taken a bite of your sandwich or your breakfast or something and the crumbs drop into your lap or you take a sip of your coffee and the lid pops off? I don't smoke, but some people smoke in their cars. So the time that it takes to look down and actually light that cigarette or if the ashes fall. I mean, there's there are so many other aspects to distracted driving other than just the cell phones and the emotional driving that I think we should all start kind of thinking about what distracts us when we're driving so that we can be more safe on the road, whether it's for work or just personal. For sure, because I mean, the habits that you make in your personal life are really hard to break now that you're magically on a work assignment and you need to go pick up lunch or your habits don't magically change that quickly. And if we can be more safe in our personal habits, it will relate to the work and vice versa and letting those habits 
realize that they are there for our safety. And it's mind-boggling that motor vehicles are the number one cause of death in the workplace still. Like that's just something that shouldn't be that with the technology we have, you would think things would be getting better with that. But it just goes to show you that even though cars are safer, our habits are still what's causing a lot of those unnecessary preventable deaths that are considered work-related, as you said, because it's a much bigger blanket and being aware of that. So we really want to have a challenge for our listeners to share this podcast with as many people as you can to get this message out, because it is so important to help prevent these deaths that are so tragic and can be changed, that's for sure. So thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe and share this message wherever you can to get started preventing injuries. Please visit our website, wellworkforce.com, and please feel free to email us at workpodcast at wellworkforce.com with any questions or comments. And remember, prevention improves lives. Prevention improves lives.